Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Another edition, a week two edition, college football betting. I am your host, Aaron Torres. Hope everybody's doing well. Hope everybody had a great week one of college football betting. Cannot believe we're at week two, right? It's so funny. We spent eight, nine months talking about these teams, thinking about these teams. Then week one happens. We immediately transition into week two. But what I would say is I do think it'll be a fun week two slate that we're about to dive into. No, it doesn't have these super big headline games like Ohio State, Notre Dame, Georgia, Oregon, outside of, of course, the major one, noon Eastern time, Alabama at Texas. But I'll tell you, I'm very intrigued by the Kentucky-Florida game. I'm very intrigued by South Carolina-Arkansas. I am very intrigued by USC going on the road at Stanford among the many big games that I am excited to discuss with you today. Uh, First of all, programming note, apologize for a little bit of the delay here on the week two preview. Losing Monday as a prep day definitely threw me behind the eight ball, but we are ready to rock and roll. Uh, Should be a fun show, should be a, 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 you know, just an exciting preview of what I think should be an exciting Saturday of football. Uh, And I will say before we get to the show, there are a couple announcements. One, if I sound a little bit different, It's because we got some major news. All of our shows are now on YouTube, streaming on YouTube, as well as the previews. So go ahead and make sure to uh, subscribe to College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. If you do that, you'll see me. You'll also see me wearing my fancy dice shirt because, of course, you got to wear the lucky dice shirt when you're talking college football and college football betting specifically. And then the other big announcement, I'll just say this. If you listen to the Aaron Torres pod, you already know. But the major announcement that we have is as follows. College football betting with Aaron Torres, the Aaron Torres pod, Aaron Torres media. We have ourselves a new presenting sponsor. Could not be more excited to work with them. Betfred Sportsbook. So here's the deal. Betfred is one of Europe's biggest, oldest, and most respected sportsbooks. They've come to the United States. They specifically targeted me, Aaron Torres media, the Aaron Torres podcast, and college football betting because of the audience that we have, the passion that you guys have, uh, and, and, and I, they're the perfect partner. They were founded in 1967, again, one of the oldest and most respected sports books uh, in Europe. They are now in the United States and have hit the ground running in a big way. They are the official betting partner of the Denver Broncos, of the Colorado Rockies, and now the Cincinnati Bengals, and are currently licensed in Arizona, Colorado, Iowa, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Louisiana, Washington, and soon Ohio. 
More importantly, and this is why I'm excited to work with them, they're a book that does more for its betters than anywhere else from in-person betting events with betting competitions, weekly promotional offers that fit your betting size and patterns, and the personal touch that you won't get anywhere else. You want to talk personal touch, here are some of the things that Betfred does for its betters. Betfred betters have thrown out the first pitch at Rockies games. They've tailgated together at Denver Broncos games. Just last week, week one of the college football season, a big event at the Arizona State game. A suite was rented for Betfred betters in the Arizona and Phoenix area, all courtesy of Betfred. When you play with Betfred Sportsbook, no one gives out more free bonuses. That's worth mentioning as well. The bigger you bet, the more you bet, the bigger the bonus. Speaking of bonuses, Betfred, because they love us, because they love college football betting with Aaron Torres and the Aaron Torres pod, here's the deal. New signups in Colorado, Arizona, and Iowa. Bet $50, get $250 free courtesy of Betfred. That is just one of many offers they are going to have for you this year. College football betting is thrilled to be partnering and be have the presenting sponsor of Betfred Sportsbook. Cannot wait to work with them all football season long. So with that said, let's get to the week two slate. Uh, by the way, I always say this, but you know, one thing about this show, I don't give out guarantees, locks, nothing like that. We're just going to break down the games, give you the best information we can and the best place to start. We know what it is. Alabama, Texas in Austin. Uh, and I'll tell you, I'm really excited to watch this one, even though, as you all know, the spread makes it seem like this one could be a little bit one-sided. Alabama now a 20-point favorite in the Betfred Sportsbook. The over-under is 65 and a half. Uh, and when I look at this game, a few things stand out. First of all, you know, neither of these teams played a super marquee game last Saturday. Neither was super on the radar. But I do think, to their credit, both teams, including Texas, and I know we always make fun of Texas, they did exactly what you would have expected and what you would have wanted from them um, in week one. For Alabama, it was business as usual. We've talked on this podcast, the Aaron Torres podcast, about really just the idea that this is a revenge tour type season, right? You lose in the national championship game, a game where you're banged up, a game that you could have won. Are you going to come out locked in and ready to reclaim what's yours if you're Alabama? Well, week one seems to indicate that they are ready to do just that. They beat Utah State 55 to nothing. And while it's Utah State, whatever, I think it's worth noting a few things. One, offensively, again, you got exactly what you wanted out of that offense. Bryce Young didn't throw a lot of deep balls, didn't have to throw a lot of deep balls because of the field position his defense set him up with, uh, but finished with 195 yards passing. And one thing that stood out to me, um, Nick Saban talked in the offseason, Bryce Young reminds him of a great point guard. It's not about throwing it deep. It's not about targeting one guy. It's about distributing it to everybody, getting everybody involved. That's exactly what happened for Alabama in Saturday's win over Utah State. I noticed this stat. I thought it was pretty interesting. Three different receivers with five catches, six different receivers with at least two catches each. That says to me that Bryce Young's making sure that everybody's involved, everybody feels involved, and it had that offense hum. And also worth noting, by the way, Jameer Gibbs, uh, how about this, nine yards per carry on 10 carries. He was awesome, as we were expecting. And you know what else we were expecting and we got on Saturday in Tuscaloosa? That defense looks as good as we were anticipating. You know, Utah State, I think it's easy to do. Oh, Utah State, who's Utah State? Utah State won 11 games last year. Utah State had a top 20 offense last season. They were held by Alabama. How about this? 
136 yards of total offense for Utah State in that win. And after the game, Blake Anderson, their head coach, said that's the best college football team that I have ever seen. So if you want a little hyperbole, and maybe it's not hyperbole to lead to lead week one, we may have gotten it with Alabama already being called one of the best teams that one coach has ever seen. On the flip side, I'll give credit where it's due. Texas, it's very much the same. It's week one. Quinn Ewers is your quarterback. There was controversy in how he was named. You want to see this team on the field. There were preseason injuries. We find out that Jaleel Billingsley, their projected tight end, starting tight end, is suspended. You want to see what this team is going to look like in week one. And they did everything that you would want. They beat Louisiana Monroe 52-10. to 10. Quinn Ewers pretty much does what she expects. 66% completion percentage, 225 yards, two touchdowns. Like Bryce Young, really distributed the ball quite well. Uh, three different receivers with at least three catches, five with at least two catches. And one thing that stood out to me just looking at the box score, I'll be honest, I didn't get a chance to watch. I don't get the, 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 the Longhorn Network. But Xavier Worthy, who was the Big 12 player of the year, only had two catches for 24 yards. And so I think Steve Sarkeesian very much didn't try to put too much on tape, just like Alabama wasn't planning on putting too much on tape. They get the win, and to their credit, the defense, which we're going to talk about in a minute, did what it was supposed to do against a bad Louisiana Monroe team, 259 yards of total offense allowed. They allowed just 2.2 yards per carry to Louisiana Monroe. With that said, while I can sit here and, and hype up Texas and how good they looked against Louisiana Monroe, I'll be honest, listen, I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm not going to avoid the tough conversation. I do think it's an uphill battle against Alabama on Saturday. And what's interesting about this game is I think even Texas fans are kind of like, you know what? If we can just get out of this game without getting embarrassed, if we can get out of this game without any major injury, we'll take it. Now, maybe you're talking to different Texas fans than I am, but from what I've seen from the Texas fan base, that seems to be the sentiment, which is, hey, let's, 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 let's just not get embarrassed. You know, if we can keep this close, if we can keep this respectable, let's do it. And I don't even know if they can do it. And it's not, again, an anti-Texas thing. Texas isn't back. It, that's not what this is about. This is about Texas is in year two of a rebuild under Steve Sarkeesian, have something like 40-something new players in their program. And they're going up against not only the number one team in the country, but one of the best versions of Alabama that we have potentially ever seen. And again, I know it's early for hyperbole. I don't think that is too far out of line. When I look at this game, specifically my concern when it comes to Texas is pretty straightforward. I tweeted this out on Monday. If you follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres, you probably saw it. Texas is starting two true freshmen along the offensive line. Now, part of that is one of their projected starters, Junior Angelau, who was a returnee from last year, got hurt in fall camp, is out for the season. But if you want to know just one fact, one fact about this game that has me concerned and should have everyone concerned, it's that they are starting two true freshmen. One of them was a five-star. The other one wasn't even like an elite recruit coming out along that offensive line against what will ultimately be the best defensive line they see all year, potentially the best defensive line in all of college football. Will Anderson, Dallas Turner, Chris Braswell, those guys are going to eat. And I do think for Quinn Ewers, it is about getting the ball out as quickly as he can to his guys. You know, how do you get a Bijan Robinson involved in, in, in this kind of game? That's what's going to be interesting to me. And I think they got to score and score in a hurry because I think the longer the game goes, the more the, the Alabama defense gets locked in, uh, it's going to be go time.
The other reason I'm concerned about Texas coming into this game, by the way, and again, this isn't a like anti-Texas thing. I'm concerned about their defense, and it goes back to everything that we talked about all fall long, all summer long, all spring long. I talked about it on this podcast. I talked about it on the Aaron Torres podcast. Everybody wants to sit there and say, oh, Texas, they crushed it in the portal. Well, they did, but who did Texas bring in? They brought in Quinn Ewers, a quarterback. They brought in Isaiah Nayor, who unfortunately is injured. They brought in Ajayi Hall, wide receiver from Alabama, who will be back for this game. They brought in Jaleel Billingsley, a tight end from Alabama, who's not available for this game. So on top of the fact that you're already missing a few key offensive guys, did you hear what I just said? Quarterback, two wide receivers, tight end. Is this defense any better than it was last year? Because like I think everyone, like, and I don't think there's anyone out there like really picking Texas to win this game. But with the excitement around Quinn Ewers, the excitement around Texas, I keep going back to how are they going to get stops? Last year, they ranked in, you know, 110th or something like that nationally in rush defense. Beyond that, uh, in that five-game losing streak, uh, 100th nationally overall in total defense, I should mention as well, during that five-game losing streak that they had, remember, they finished five and seven with a five-game losing streak in the mix there. They gave up 30-plus points in all five of those losses. We all remember the meltdown against Kansas, 57 points. They also gave up 31 to a bad Iowa State team, 30-plus to an Oklahoma State team that didn't score a ton, obviously 50-plus to Oklahoma, Lincoln Riley, Caleb Williams back in those days. Is this defense really improved? What, what gives you the reason to believe that this defense is improved? So I could go on and on. What I would tell you, my official bet, I'm not telling you to bet it. I'm just telling you what my official bet is. Betfred Sportsbook, I am taking Alabama in the first half. I just think they're going to jump out. I think this is a revenge tour game for Alabama. I do worry about the back door being open late. If I had to give an unofficial pick, I would go ahead and say, uh, you know, 45 to 20 Alabama. In that case, they would cover. I do worry a little bit about the back door. So let's just stick with, as I said, I'm going to take the first half for Alabama in this game. Let's get to the the second, you know, top 25 matchup. I guess Texas and Alabama by technicality is not a top 25 matchup. But uh, the second game, interesting one in the swamp. How about this? You want to know how quickly fortunes can change. Kentucky, Florida is now a matchup of ranked opponents after Florida began the year unranked. They're now ranked number 12 in the country coming into this one. They are playing uh, uh, the Kentucky Wildcats. Interesting line movement in this game. In the Betfred Sportsbook, Florida opened as a five and a half point favorite. That number was bet down to about, I want to say, four and a half early in the week. Then it was back up to five and a half. Now, as I record here early on Thursday, it is already at six. The over-under is at 52 and a half. From the Florida perspective, listen, we all saw Florida last week. Uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on them. The only thing that really stood out to me about that first game is, is a couple things. One, um, you know, great win against Utah, right? So I'm not going to try to take away anything from Utah. I think we did see that this team does have some deficiencies, even though they won. And I think it's stuff Billy Napier would talk about. Like, I don't think it's criticizing Florida to say that they have some deficiencies, especially along the defensive line where Utah really just ran the ball right at them throughout that game especially in the second half. I also do wonder coming into this one, Anthony Richardson's like a stud, right? And so this isn't like a bash Anthony Richardson segment. I do wonder, I just think for Utah, it was really, really, really tough for them to game plan for Anthony Richardson. I know they had tape on him, but he really had not played 
super meaningful snaps last year, except against that Georgia defense, which was historically great. Uh, and so I do wonder with, with a week's worth of prep, a week's worth of game planning for Anthony Richardson, does Kentucky have an answer for him? Because I'll be honest, right? You go back to the preview last week that I had of Utah, Florida. And I said, you know, I got to see it to believe it with Anthony Richardson. Well, I'll tell you this. I saw it and I am very much a believer, specifically just the dual threat ability that we all knew that he had. Just an unbelievable game from him last week. 106 yards rushing, almost 10 yards per carry, three touchdowns, as well as 165 yards passing. Like I said, though, we saw Kentucky, we saw Florida last week. And so I want to switch gears and I want to talk about Kentucky because one thing I always try to do. Um, you know, I try to watch as much as I can. I know realistically you can't watch every snap of every game. It's just not going to happen. But more importantly, I try to go beyond the box score, right? And I think if you do that, if you if you just looked at the Kentucky final score, 37 to 13 win over Miami of Ohio, you'd sit there and say, oh, you know, great win for Kentucky. They're incredible. They're picking up right where they left off last year when they won 10 games. I'm not totally sold. First of all, did you see... This game was at halftime, 13 to 10 Kentucky. Kentucky had a big third quarter to pull away, but a couple of things stand out. Kentucky was just two of eight on third down beyond that. And this is where I would be concerned. 26 rushing attempts for 50 yards. You heard me correct. 26 rush attempts, 50 yards rushing for the Kentucky Wildcats. And that is where I would be concerned coming into this game. Again, I don't think the defensive front is a strength of the Florida Gators. But when you rush for 26, car 26 carries for 50 yards against a, 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 a MAC opponent, and I know Miami of Ohio is not terrible, but a MAC opponent, that is not good. And that speaks to my biggest concern about Kentucky coming into this game specifically. They are going to be down a few bodies in the running back room. Chris Rodriguez will not play. Uh, Cavassier Smoke will. Ramon Jefferson uh, a highly touted FCS transfer will not play in this game either. And so I do worry, is Kentucky going to be able to move the ball on the ground against this Florida front? Not because Florida is elite and that's not a criticism of Florida, but it's just a fact, but more importantly, because do they have the bodies and what is up with that offensive line uh, going into this game? Beyond that, what I would say why I'd be concerned if I'm back in Kentucky. And I don't tell you what to do. Again, spreads at about six points now in the Bedfred Sportsbook. It was five and a half on Wednesday, six early on Thursday. My other concern is if you go historically, I do think that Mark Stoops, especially on the road, especially in big games, especially against teams with equal talent of his, I do think he gets a little bit conservative. And that's not a knock, knock on Mark Stoops, right? Like you can say something without it being a criticism. But I went back and looked because I said to myself, and, and if you go back to the preseason preview show that I did with Kentucky, one thing that I did say was, I think they're a little bit overhyped coming into the year, in part because they beat a bad Florida team thanks to a special teams play in, in Lexington last year. They beat a bad LSU team where Coach O obviously had been fired. And so I bring it up because you go back to some of those other games, especially on the road, you know, we get so excited about Will Levis, potential first rounder, he eats bananas, he does the mayonnaise thing in his coffee. Like, okay, show me something on the road in a big game. Because here's the deal. And it's not criticism, it's just a fact. You're a first round pick. You're a potential number one overall pick as you've been touted. This is a game you go on the road and get the win, especially when you're going up against another first round talent in Anthony Richardson. And so I'll be curious to see it, especially because 
Mark Stoops has historically played very close to the vest on the road in SEC play against good teams. You go back to last year, statistically, Kentucky was awesome offensively, but they had a lot of big scoring outputs against bad teams, right? You go back to last year, I think it's easy to sit there and, and, and say Kentucky had this elite offense. Well, look at some of the teams they did it against. Put up, uh, you know, uh, you go back to last year for Kentucky, they put up last season 35 points against a terrible Missouri team, 42 points against that bad LSU team, 42 points against Tennessee, 56 points against New Mexico State, 52 against Louisville. But if you go to some of those, those close road games, they also only put up 17 points against Mississippi State on the road and 16 points against South Carolina on the road. And they really actually kind of took the ball out of Will Levis's hands in both of those games. 102 yards passing against South Carolina, 150 yards passing against Mississippi State. Mississippi State, he threw a little bit more because he had to. Uh, but I do wonder if Mark Stoops takes the ball out of his hands. And I wonder if he can afford to take the ball out of his hands going into a rough environment in the swamp with his running back room pretty beat up. And so to me, I'll just tell you my personal thought on this game is that it's close, is that it's low scoring. Uh, I'd probably lean Florida outright Kentucky in the points. I love Florida. I love what Billy Napier did. I don't want to overreact to week one. I think even Billy Napier would tell you we have a lot of places where we are not at the level that we need to be. And I'm genuinely curious to see if Florida, if we can have that magic in the swamp two weeks in a row, or if Kentucky for the third time in five years can take care of the Florida Gators. My official pick would be the under of 53 and a half. All right, this is what I want to do. Take a quick break. Do want to come back and we're going to talk Arkansas, South Carolina. We're going to talk Stanford, USC, maybe a little Baylor, BYU and the rest of the week Two slate. Cannot wait to come back. Take a quick break. We'll be right We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. 
Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad... To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. All right, everybody. I am back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Uh, got the lucky shirt going. So let's get to the rest of the week two slate here. And let's get to another SEC opener. We just obviously talked about the Florida-Kentucky game in the swamp. Very intriguing matchup there. Let's go ahead and talk about the other big SEC opener, as I just mentioned, South carolina Going to Arkansas in Fayetteville, Saturday, noon Eastern time, ESPN, Betfred. Interesting kind of line movement in the Betfred Sportsbook. Arkansas was an eight and a half point favorite. It is now down to eight, the over-under set at 53 and a half. And what's interesting about this game is I think if, if you watched Arkansas against Cincinnati, I think there's a lot of people that would probably say the line movement towards South Carolina makes a lot of sense. Arkansas was by no means bad. And you never want to forget where this program was two or three years ago. It shows how far that they've come that you have a seven point home win against a ranked team and you feel like you left a little bit on the field. But I think that's how most Arkansas fans feel. I think that's how most people that watch that game feel. Overall, Cincinnati played hardly played their best game. If you think about it, had two missed field goals, two turnovers. This is kind of a crazy stat, right? First half four trips into Arkansas territory that resulted in zero points, which is pretty hard to do one turnover, um, you know, and, and two field goals. And so there was a scenario where Arkansas could have been in a much tighter spot to their credit, though they made the plays needed to win. And I think when I look at that Arkansas game, uh, the thing that stands out is they were who they are. You know, the, the old Dennis green, they are who we thought they were. Well, that's who Arkansas was last Saturday against Cincinnati. Listen, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't great. But you go back and, and look at the final stats, it, it came out pretty impressive, right? Like, I talked about this on the Aaron Torres pod. Like, for all, go to the Ohio State-Notre Dame game. For all the frustration from Ohio State fans, uh, you know, C.J. Stroud ended up finishing almost seven yards per completion without his best wide receiver. And I think it's a lot of the same with Arkansas. Yeah, you wanted it to be a little bit better, but you still finished K.J. Jefferson. How about this? 18-26, to 26, 223 yards passing, three touchdowns. And then, oh, by the way, had another rushing touchdown. So on a day where you felt like you left a little bit on the field, you still get the win. Your star quarterback, four total touchdowns, 223 yards passing. And this is important as well. 224 yards rushing overall for Arkansas, five yards per carry. One of the best rushing teams in college football last year appears to be able to run the ball right at you, just like they did in 2021. Now for South Carolina, it's a little bit of a different deal. And what's interesting about the South Carolina game um, is to me, again, the Dennis Green, they are who I thought they were. Now, there was a lot of hype on South Carolina coming into the year, but I'll be honest, if you listen to this show, I explained, I I didn't really get where the hype was coming from. You go back and listen to my preseason SEC East preview. Here's what I said, is that, look, it's not to disrespect Shane Beamer. Obviously, year one, uh, picking up a mess that Will Muschamp left behind. And I think it's going to take a while to rebuild from that disaster. Will Muschamp related, not Shane Beamer related. But you go back to last year, and it's kind of what I just said with Kentucky. Was South Carolina that improved late in the year? Or did they just play the right teams at the right time? Remember, they got bowl eligible because they beat Florida the game before Dan Mullen got fired. 
and they beat Auburn in the midst of just a complete meltdown by Auburn that almost led to Brian uh, Brian Harson, excuse me, getting run out of town. Although I think Brian Kelly's about to get run out of town himself down there in Baton Rouge. But they beat Florida, they beat Auburn. They play those games at a different time of year. I don't know that they're winning those games. Now, it's a credit to South Carolina for winning them, but were they that improved or did they just catch the right teams at the right time? The other thing was there was a lot of excitement around the arrival of Spencer Rattler. And listen, I don't root against individual players. I'm not saying he's terrible, but we all saw him at Oklahoma last year. There was a reason he was not only benched once. Remember, he was actually benched twice actually got an, a, an opportunity late in the season when Caleb Williams was struggling. We're going to talk about Caleb Williams in a minute. And Spencer Rattler just didn't get the job done. And he looked very much the same on Saturday in South Carolina's win over South Carolina state uh, over Georgia state 23 of 37 passing six yards per completion, one touchdown, two interceptions. That was kind of what he did against Oklahoma with Oklahoma last year. Didn't have a lot of big plays, didn't have a lot of uh, precision. I know he completed a lot of passes, but it wasn't for very much yardage. And there was a reason that Spencer Rattler got benched. Oklahoma's offense was not very good with him on the field. South Carolina's offense struggled with him last week. More concerning than Spencer Rattler, though, let's not put this all on Spencer Rattler. Uh, His run game did not help him. And this is where it gets interesting for for the Arkansas game on Saturday. How about this? Against the Georgia State team, which was fine defensively last year, but they weren't you know, elite, even for the group of five level, South Carolina rushed for two and a half yards per carry in that game, 79 yards rushing on 32 carries, uh, not very good against Georgia state. And so ultimately what I would say about South Carolina, that is what concerns me about the Gamecocks coming into this game. I think most people like South Carolina to cover the eight, eight and a half. I actually feel the exact opposite and it's pretty much straightforward. It's because as we know, In college football, in sports in general, styles make fights. And I do think the style is advantageous for Arkansas. At home, great home crowd, second home game of the year. South Carolina struggled at home themselves last week against Georgia State. Now, was there a potential look ahead? Of course, it's possible. But this was a team that very much struggled offensively last year. And they very much struggled specifically to run the ball last year as well. Well, now... You have an improvement at quarterback to Spencer Rattler's credit. He's better than what they had last year, but you still can't run the ball. The quarterback doesn't look elite. And so I do worry that the one place that Arkansas can really expose teams is in the toughness, physicality in the trenches. I think that's exactly what they do. Again, I don't tell you how to bet. Bet Fred Sportsbook has it at eight. I got Arkansas winning this game and covering the spread at home in Fayetteville. Let's keep it going. Let's head out West. And I'll just say this really quick about uh, USC Stanford. Very interesting game. And in an interesting betting twist, the number is actually coming in. The money is coming in in favor of Stanford on Wednesday. Stanford was a nine point home underdog. They're down to an eight and a half point home underdog over under is set in the high sixties. How about this for an over under in this game? Uh, if you, if you want to bet the over under it's 67 and a half. So good luck getting to, to 68 points. Um, but I think it's going to be a really fun game to watch, right? Like, like I, you know, this is the fun part of this time of year is that there are certain teams that because of the way the schedule breaks, you don't get to see them early. You don't get to see them late, whatever. We're going to get to see USC on a national stage for the first time on Saturday night. I think we're all intrigued. What I will say in, in, in USC's defense, whether you like them on Saturday, whether you don't, I don't think the opening night could have gone much better for USC than it did for people who missed 
the USC home game. And most of you did because it was on the Pac-12 network. 66 points for USC in week one against Rice. I know it was Rice, but a couple things. First of all, it was like 110 degrees at the Coliseum. Like the fact that you, you are that locked in, that focused under not ideal weather conditions is great. But two, the offense looked exactly how you want it. 539 yards of total offense. Opening, uh, you know, touchdown is Jordan Addison, a reception from Caleb Williams, which is exactly what you want. And then the thing that I think really impressed me from the USC perspective is that they had three defensive touchdowns. Like, like, like if you watched USC under Clay Helton, they always beat themselves. They never helped themselves. I would love to know the last time USC had three defensive touchdowns in one game, specifically under Clay Helton. Maybe it happened. I certainly don't remember it. So they get the win in week one. Stanford, to its credit, gets the win in week one, but it's kind of hard to gauge, right? They play an FCS team, Colgate. Colgate, uh, you know, whatever. Like It's an FCS team. They win 41 to 10. Uh, again, I don't discredit teams that take care of business against inferior competition. The only thing that I would say concerning about the win for Stanford, and it was a quality win, is that it was a scenario where Stanford did have four turnovers in this game. Why does that matter? It's because Stanford last year ranked 124th nationally in turnover margin, had the third most turnovers in college football with, I believe the total was 23. Uh, not great at math. That's two a game. That's part of why they finished three and nine overall. So in terms of betting this game, I'll just be honest. Again, it, it's a total stay with me. If you feel good about one side, go ahead and bet it. I do feel like USC as almost a double-digit road favorite. That feels like you're just giving away money, but I can also see the scenario where you would like USC. USC, of course, coming off that big win. Stanford, I, you know, listen, if you listen to the Pac-12 preview, you know I was not a fan of Stanford. You go back to last year. They finished three and nine. Now, ironically, one of the wins was against USC. It was obviously the win that ended Clay Helton's time at USC. But this was also a team that finished the season. They lost 52-7 to to Utah at home. They lost 41-11 to to Cal at home. And they lost 45-4. to I think Cal was actually on the road. And they lost 45-14 to to Notre Dame. So it's not as though they haven't taken big L's at home. And so on the one hand, if you like USC, go ahead and bet them. What I would also say, though, is a couple things. One, Stanford weirdly has had USC's number over the last couple of years. I just mentioned that Stanford ended Clay Helton's time there uh, at USC. Last year, they beat him. Overall, they've won two of the, they've won their last three, I believe, and four of the last five at home. It's worth noting, by the way, as I've said many times, Caleb Williams, as great as he was early in his time at Oklahoma, did struggle in the final three games. Four touchdowns, three interceptions, 50% completion percentage over the final three regular season games. This will be his first road game in a USC uniform. Now, obviously, Stanford uh, is not a super tough environment to play in, but this is just one. Listen, I can't bet it. I want to bet it. I want to take USC. I want to feel good about it. But you look at what history tells us. Stanford always seems to have USC's number. I know this is a new USC team. Stanford seems to have their number. More importantly, just nine points on the road feels like way too many. And the over-under, I can't even begin to consider what it is, considering how bad Stanford was last year defensively. Let's keep it going. Let's stay out West. Uh, Baylor at BYU, top 25 matchup. How about that? Baylor at BYU, top 25 matchup. Baylor is the Big 12 favorite coming into the season, but they're actually a three-point underdog. 
over under is 53 and a half in this game. And what I would say about this game is, you know, a couple things is that I do think this is one, and I think I talked about it a little bit with Kentucky. I just talked about it a minute ago with Stanford. This is one where, in my opinion, and in my research, and in my homework, and you guys all, all did your own homework, so I'm not telling you that you need to take my word as gospel, but this is one where your preseason prep is tested. And what I mean by that is, in the preseason, I said two things very definitively. I said, I think Baylor is wildly overrated. Dave Aranda, great story, loves his kids, told his starting quarterback to transfer because he was going to get beat out, did the right thing. But I said, I think they're wildly overrated. And I said, I think BYU with 18 starters coming back is underrated. And so if I said it, I got to put my money where my mouth is. And I very much am. Now, BYU, to its credit, what do I just keep saying? I don't discredit teams that take care of business against the teams they're supposed to early in the season. Well, BYU, I thought quietly had one of the more impressive week one wins. So keep in mind, they knew that there was a top 25 team coming to town this week. Uh, with Baylor coming to town against them. They go to South Florida. They fly across country. South Florida is not good. I get it. 28 points in the first half for BYU, 38 points in, thir- 28 points in the first quarter, 38 points in the first half. And offensively, they did exactly what you want. How about this? 312 yards rushing, eight and a half yards per carry. Now, it's one thing if you have eight and a half yards per carry and you carry the ball 10 times, they ran the ball 37 times against BYU to its or to, against South Florida to its credit. Baylor took care of business as well against Albany, putting up almost 70 points in that game. Now, the key to this game, I do believe, uh, it's going to be what I just said: that BYU offensive line against Baylor's defensive front. Because the thing I'll say about Baylor, like I, I think they're overrated, and we'll get to why in a minute. One place they do have elite difference makers is up front on that defensive line, which is not something you hear often about Big 12 teams. But obviously, Apu Ika, the transfer from LSU two years ago who followed Dave Aranda, I mean, that guy's going to play on Sundays. They have a kid named Jackson Player who transferred in, who a lot of people like from Tulsa, was a really good player there. So that's going to be the, the, the matchup to watch is up front. But I do think that when I look at this game, uh, it comes down to what I said about Baylor earlier in the preseason and in the summer. I like Baylor. I think Dave Rand is a great story, but you go back. And what did I say? Their starting quarterback, Blake Shapin, he beat out the incumbent Jerry, Jerry Bohannon last year, Gary Bohannon, I should say. Um, But at the same time, never started a true road game, played in the big 12 championship game, played a little bit in their bowl game. He's, he has not played in an environment like BYU and BYU for a Saturday night is going to be crazy. Um, and then they lost a lot of talent. Like Baylor, I, I don't get them being the preseason favorite in the Big 12. I think you can make a case for Oklahoma. I think you can make a case for Texas. I think you can make a case for Oklahoma State. I would not make it for Baylor, though. Not only lost your starting quarterback, you lost a 1,000-yard rusher in Abraham Smith. You lost your best wide receiver, Tyquan Thornton. You lost several defensive starters now in the NFL, including JT Woods, a safety who led college football in interceptions. I just don't get it. I like BYU field goal favorite at home. I think they go ahead and cover really quickly. I'm just going to rip through some of the other games worth keeping an eye on this week. One, I'll tell you a really interesting one. The last kickoff of the day, you talk about PAC 12 after dark, Arizona hosting Mississippi state. This is an interesting one for a couple of reasons. If you look at the point spread, first of all, Arizona is a 10 and a half point underdog at home. Mississippi state comes in as a 10 and a half point favorite. 
Why it's interesting is a couple of reasons. One, this is kind of a tough spot for Mississippi State, okay? This is a tough spot for Mississippi State for, for this reason. They played a game last week against Memphis at home. Keep in mind, it was a revenge game for, for Mississippi State, which lost a weird game against Memphis last year. They played last week at home. Due to lightning delays, the game ended after midnight Eastern, midnight Central, midnight local time in Starkville. Now they got to fly across the country, play an 11 p.m. Eastern kickoff, 10 Central kickoff against a really good Arizona's team, which, oh, by the way, the stadium is apparently sold out. They announced that on, I guess it was Thursday night, uh, Wednesday night. So now you're going on the road and you're playing against an Arizona team. Listen, I think I talked about it a little bit in the San Diego State game in a very brief preview last week. But we talk about how great Lincoln Riley did in the portal, how great Brian Kelly did in the portal, how great um, whoever uh, Steve Sarkeesian did in the portal. Arizona did really good in the portal. Jaden Delora, Pac-12 freshman of the year, at quarterback at Washington State. He came in, wide receiver Jacob Cowing from UTEP. Well, guess what? Jacob Cowing had three touchdown catches last week against San Diego State. San Diego State opening a new stadium off of a 12-win season. Arizona goes in there and smacks them. The spread is 10.5. I actually do like Arizona. Two more games. You know, Tennessee is a 6.5-point favorite at Pitt. I'm not going to lie and say that I have a strong opinion. It's worth noting these two teams outside of COVID, or I should say these two coaches, when Josh Heupel was at Central Florida, they, they played Pitt twice in Josh Heupel's final two, two of the final three years. Um, and then they played last year when Josh Heupel got to Tennessee. So three out of the last four years, Josh Heupel has faced Pat Narduzzi. Um, and Pat Narduzzi has won two of those games straight up. Now, I think this is the best team that Josh Heupel will have. But going on the road, just one that I, I don't really have a strong opinion on. Uh, again, Tennessee is about a six and a half point favorite when you look at the Betfred Sportsbook. Tennessee, a six and a half point favorite down to six now going to pit over under is set for 67. I have no strong opinion. I won't be betting it. If you do, good luck to you. Finally, let's give a little shout out to my alma mater, the UConn Huskies. Okay. UConn hosting Syracuse. Syracuse coming off a big week one win against Louisville. Syracuse is a, are you ready for this? 23 point favorite. You don't walk into Rensselaer Field and put up 23, uh, 23 point win against Jim Moore's UConn Huskies. Okay. I do like UConn to cover the spread for a few reasons. Seven o'clock Eastern kickoff. Um, the fan base is as excited as they've been in a long time. Uh, they're actually opening the tailgate parking lots early for this game. And that crowd is going to be lubed up, ready to go. I also think the way UConn plays with Nathan Carter, the way they run the ball, Nathan Carter from UConn. Now, granted, He's played two games this year because of the week zero game, but back-to-back 100-yard rushing games, third nationally in rushing. I think UConn does it, it does enough to keep things close. All right, I think that's it for this episode of College Football Betting with Aaron Torres. Appreciate everybody's support. Uh, a couple things. If you're not subscribed, please make sure to do so. Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media. You can just follow me on Twitter at Aaron underscore Torres. And make sure to follow the YouTube channel. Shows are going to go live there, as well as clips of this show. Share with friends. Do all of that good stuff. That is all for today's show. I will be back next week, probably on Thursday morning as opposed to Thursday midday. Have a great day. Get your bets in. Gamble responsibly. Bet Fred Sportsbook, as I told you. Bet 50. Win 250. 
from any uh, on any new sign up any college football game this weekend in Arizona, Colorado, and Iowa. We'll be back next week. We'll talk soon. Enjoy the games on Saturday. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad. To learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai.